the radiant face of Moses. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterwards, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. The Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 9, verses 28 to 43. Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and was speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen, listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent in those days and in those days told no one any of the things that they had seen. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met, met him. Just then a man from the crowd shouted, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. He's my only child. Suddenly a spirit seizes him, and all at once he shrieks. It convulses him until he foams at the mouth. It mauls him and will scarcely leave him. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, You faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon dashed him to the ground in convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. 
and all were astounded at the greatness of God. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts and the meditations of our hearts and minds be ever acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. When this whole world starts getting me down And people are just too much for me to face I climb way up to the top of the stairs And all my cares just drift right into space On the roof it's peaceful as can be And there below the world can't bother me Let me I'm not going to carry on Um um, thank you, thank you. I will be uh, forming a Drifters Tribute Act later on in the service. Um, um, how are we to interpret the Transfiguration? Is it that it's just this sort of majestic, wonderful thing where Jesus is kind of mirroring Moses, going up on the mountainside, there's this face-shining encounter with God, and it's all wonderful and glorious, and that somehow we're supposed to replicate that. Is that what this is about? A kind of drifter's thing of remove ourselves, go up on the high ground, and everything's going to be all right for us going forward. Is that what the transfiguration really is all about? Throughout the Bible, the high ground is significant. It's where Moses receives Ten Commandments, Noah's Ark ends up perched on some bit of it, Jesus is crucified on it, the resurrection happens on the mountain, etc., etc., etc. The high ground is there as a kind of encounter point between humankind and God. I think that's probably because of the imagery that uh, was held at the time of a three-tier universe of heaven, earth, and hell, and the high point must be the nearest point, therefore, to heaven. But for, for us, in our lives, we, we often will have those times where maybe we just get in the car and we go and find a, a high point nearby to just give ourselves a bit of time to recharge the batteries. Um, my, my wife is teaching in Y, and uh, there, everyone in Y, at this precise moment, isn't actually there. They're all at San Moritz having their skiing holidays for the year, so she hasn't actually got any children in the class. Um, but they're all there having their high ground moments, their time for recharging the batteries, that, that desire for sanctuary of taking that step back. Now, I think there might be something in that for the motivation of Jesus in our reading today. Luke's version, unlike Mark and Matthew, has it where Jesus goes up the mountain with his closest friends to pray. The others don't mention that. It's that he needs that time to think seriously about what's going to happen. The context in Luke is that Jesus has just had that, that turning point in the gospel narrative. They have left Galilee. They've gone to Caesarea Philippi and Peter has announced that he believes that Jesus is the Messiah. And now is the start of that road to Jerusalem, that, that pathway to the cross. And the next part of the narrative is that Jesus then goes up on a mountainside to pray. It's that he needs that time to think seriously about what his ministry is and how it's going to pan out over the coming weeks and months. 
And there, there is this encounter, the encounter with God, a, a religious experience, if you will. And I think Jesus is also taking Peter, James, and John with him because he needs them to get ready. He needs his disciples to prepare themselves for the way of the cross as well. And he's hoping that in this time that they might start, the penny might drop for them as well. That they might start to understand the nature of what is going to happen to Jesus. That there will be this confrontation with the Roman authorities. There will be this challenge to those who are the religious leaders. There will be this full-on confrontation with the corrupt and the mendacious. And that ultimately that will lead to his crucifixion. And Jesus is worried that the disciples don't get it. And then they prove him right that they don't get it yet again. Peter proves this with that whole point about the tabernacles, the, the dwelling places. You know, let, let's, let's remain here permanently. Let's establish that political authority that we really want from you, Jesus. Let's stay on the mountainside and make this into our fortress. You, Moses, Elijah, the symbols of the past, let's raise up an army and let's just remain here where we're divorced from the realities of the world. That's what the disciples want. That's their agenda. But Jesus is offering a different model of ministry and a different concept of power. You see, it's lovely when you want to take those times to go to the high ground for reflection and so on. But actually, the high ground can often lead to a distortion, a failing of perspective. How many of the policies of government are made by people who are so far removed from the day-to-day -day reality that they don't actually know what's really going on, the impact of their policy decisions? I think particularly the Department for Work and Pensions might need some reflection on that. And uh, the Methodist Church, with uh, the work of JPID, has been very good at, at constantly highlighting how divorced from reality so many of the policies are. The impact of things like universal credit or bedroom tax on already desperate people, caused by people who have taken that deliberate intention to divorce themselves from reality. You see, sin would probably be better described as a, a kind of deliberate creation of distance, of separating yourself from the other person so much that you lose sight of their humanity. You start to not understand the reality of what's really going on. And our newspapers also are incredibly guilty at that when they keep wanting us to be part of the moral high ground. And actually, too often, the moral high ground they want to impose is profoundly immoral in its own right. There are some who come to church, I think, because they want to possess that moral high ground, the desire to judge other people, to feel somehow superior. The United Methodist Church this week in America has been through absolute turmoil because of the fact that there are within the, the mouldings of the Methodist Church there those who feel that they are capable of offering judgment on other fellow Christians. 
and we're now at the stage of potential schism within that denomination, our own brothers and sisters in Methodism globally. We need to think how Jesus was thinking, that going up onto the high ground is okay for temporary periods, but it isn't permanent sanctuary. We need to come down off the hill into the valley to spend that time back in reality, to close the distance that we might have deliberately created. Henry Nouwen, the uh, Canadian theologian, um, has written a number of books about the times where he uh, divested himself of his uh, position as a professor at a university and the stable life of that to go and live amongst the Larche community of people who are suffering from severe illnesses. And that in that process of removing himself from all of the authority and the money and the, and the, the wealth that he had, that he actually learned far more about his own humanity in the process. And he was able to reflect then upon what he calls the downward mobility of Christ, the Christ who deliberately humbles himself, the Christ who comes down to be with us, to share with us, to risk everything for us, to be prepared to suffer alongside us a downward mobility, a deliberate divesting of all the authority and all the moral high ground and all the judgment, leaving the mountain top to go back down into the valley. And our gospel reading offers to us what happens to Jesus when he does that, that he's then immediately surrounded by a crowd, that that religious glory that he's been through doesn't help them, that it's when he's back amongst the people that they then become astounded by the power of God because he's back amongst them, he's closed the distance and he's able to offer his healing yet again. Now we're getting ready for the process of Lent where we are at this point with Jesus of starting on that road towards the cross. How does the issue of being willing to divest yourself of power and responsibility and authority hold with you? How does following in the footsteps of one who is going to the cross, how does that grab you? Because this isn't easy stuff by any stretch of the imagination. This isn't the easy way out for any of us. Jesus is asking us today, are we prepared to walk that path with him? Are we prepared to walk all the way to the cross? Jesus was called to suffer and die, to go amidst the world's pain and to transfigure it, to transform it. And we ourselves are also called to do exactly the same. For those of us whom life is tough and we're constantly feeling the, the beatings of, of life and how, how painful it can be. Yes, the Christian faith is there to offer you sanctuary and a time of healing. But it's not permanent sanctuary. We are called, all of us, to go back out into the world, to be amongst those who, like us, maybe are suffering, but to try and offer healing in that process. We are not called to remain up on the mountainside, but to come down into the valley 
to offer hope, to offer healing. Why do you go to your cross, O Lord? Is all suffering redemptive? Will your cruel death be creative? If one is willing to suffer, then let it be for a noble or a great cause. Let no one suffer a pointless or meaningless death. Let the willingness to martyrdom, to suffering, be so resonant with symbol, dignity and inspiration that it changes the world. And yet, too often we know that rarely happens. Our world will not allow suffering to change the status quo. The corrupt, the crooked and greedy will never allow suffering or death to be dignified. For it is then that all evil systems will change and fall apart and the swamplands of injustice will be drained. Too often the victims cry out and no one hears them. We do not know or care. Yet Christ calls us to follow him, to go beyond the church, collect a cross and die, the path of discipleship beyond the life of religion. Possibly our suffering will not be transformative, our death seemingly bereft of meaning. We hear voices of suffering in a world of pain, where sorrow and death are weakness and failings to be ignored or tuned out from. And yet, over time, a community willing to gamble everything on being hung to a stake, such a community cannot forever be ignored. So is that why you died, O Lord? To show us how to live by being willing to die. We are not called to the high ground for permanent living. We are not called to remain in our ivory towers. We are not called to remain in our permanent Westminsters, blithely ignoring the sufferings of the people elsewhere. We are not called to our tabloid press moral high grounds. Jesus is calling us down into the valley to authentic living. He walks down from the mountainside to where the people are in need of healing. And so for this Lenten tide, I pray that we will have the courage that we need to follow Christ to his cross. I know you will smile at the end of the service when I do that blessing bit and I talk about those we ought to love. And I, I do it deliberately because that is part of the challenge of the Christian faith. To go beyond those whom you like. Who are the ones who you ought to love? And this Lenten tide, if you can, at least once a week, try and express some of that love to someone who you ought to and not someone who you find it easy to like. At least once a week. That's my challenge to you for this Lent. Ideally, at least once a day. Um, and ideally once an hour if you really can, but I'll accept once a week from you. Go not to those who need you, but to those who need you the most. Don't stay on the mountainside. Come down into the valley and stay there throughout this Lent. Amen.